from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. Amen. Our scripture text is going to start with verse 11. Verse 11. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 2. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting at verse 11, you will find these words. So I came to Jerusalem. And was there three days. Then I rose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well. And to the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate. And so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and the Geshem the Arab heard of it they laughed at us and despised us and said what is this thing that you are doing will you rebel against the king so I answered them and said to them the God of heaven himself will prosper us therefore We, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. I want to talk to you a few moments from the thought. A godly leader is also a motivating leader. A godly leader is also... A motivating leader. At the outset of this series of lessons on the book of Nehemiah, amen, we established that 
Israel or Judah at this time is in a very low place. They're in a very low place because they've been exiled to Babylon. The walls have been torn down. The gates are burned. Houses have been destroyed. Jerusalem lays waste. Amen. There has been a bomb dropped in Judah. There's been a major tearing away, a major uh, event of destruction amongst the people. Amen. Their gates have been burned. Their walls have been torn down. And we know that the Old Testament Israel or the Old Testament Judah, amen, most of what we see is in a physical form, amen, but can be easily translated, amen, to a spiritual experience. So we in the New Testament church, it may be walls have been torn down and gates have been burned physically of uh, campuses or campuses where churches are. But most of the time, amen, it deals with spiritual breakdown. What happens in the life of the believers in the contemporary church is there are spiritual destruction that occurs. There are spiritual things that happen that cause the saints of God to separate from one another, to to look down at one another, to fight with one another, to, to be separated, and it causes destruction in the church. But it's in those times, amen, that leadership is most needed. Somebody to stand in the gap and say enough is enough. We must return back to the Lord. The walls have been torn down and the gates have been burned of hearts and we must rebuild. And rebuilding can be done in the name of Jesus. Somebody's got to come alongside and motivate some folk to say it's not over till God says it's over. It's not over. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up because God has not given up on you. Amen. Somebody's got to come alongside and say, we can do it. Amen. And here we find a motivator in Nehemiah. And remember, Nehemiah is not a vocational leader. Amen. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not an apostle. He's not an evangelist. Amen. But he is a believer in God. Listen at that. He is a believer in God. No particular title this man has, but that he loves God. And we realize that now the responsibility of leadership is not just on the hand of auxiliary heads of Uh, of uh, auxiliary presidents and pastors and preachers, amen, and deacons, but it's the responsibility of every baptized, born-again believer because you got the greatest leader of all inside of you. (laughs) His name is Jesus by the power of the Holy Ghost. All wisdom and knowledge, all understanding is in him and he is living in you. Amen. Nehemiah is, exemplifies the, the one who believes in God. He believes in God 
and he didn't have to decide, well, I see a problem, but I've got to consult with all of the vocational folks before I do something about it. No, he consulted with God. Because what we must understand as well as a New Testament church is concerned, that we are the priesthood of believers. That means every baptized, born-again believer has access to God equally as are the others. The only difference between one and another is their gifting. Amen. But your relationship with God, amen, is not contingent upon your gift, not contingent upon your office in the church, but it's contingent upon your relationship, your belief in Christ and Christ alone. And God wants to do great things with all of his children. Amen. If it was not so, then when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he could say right then, come on home. But he left us here for a reason. He left each and every one of us to play a part in the building of his kingdom. When he was speaking to Peter, also known as Cephas, and then he said, well, what do you say? And Peter said that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said to Peter, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal to this to you, Peter. Amen. Blessed are thee, Simon Bar-Jonah, the son of Jonah, because the father in heaven revealed this to you. But then Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against this. Sometimes we miss it and think he's talking about Peter because the word Peter or Cephas means rock. But no, he was talking about the bedrock foundation of the the confession of faith that Peter gave. And that same confession all of us should have as well. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the anointed one. That Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we don't serve a dead God, but our Christ yet lives. Because he did die one Friday evening. He was buried, but he rose on that third day morning with all power in his hand. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. He says, as I was sent, so I sent in you. See, we got good papers, amen, to do the will of God. Every one of us, y'all, amen. Ain't that good news? We ain't got to wait on somebody with vocational license to do for the Lord. And we will see that Nehemiah as a believer in God done a miraculous work that even Ezra the prophet or Ezra the priest did not do. Amen. There are some things, amen, new sign, that you guys can do that I'll never be able to do. Amen. There are some places you will go, there are some people you will meet, and there are some folks that you will make a difference in their life that I'll never meet. But that's all right. Because I recognize my role, amen. I recognize that I'm an equipment manager, amen. I don't really play in the game like you do. Amen. But I have my opportunities to do my part. Amen. Amen. And I am blessed by God to be able to help tighten up some screws here and there. Amen. Amen. But God is looking to do great things with his people. Amen. And it's not over till it's over. 
But if you're going to be a godly leader, you've got to be a motivating leader. You've got to motivate not only other folks, but you've got to motivate yourself. Sometimes you've got to say, hey, you know what? Olan, you know what? Brenda, you know what? Mitch, you know what? I got to wake it up and I got to move on. I can't lay down like this. I can't say I'm going to do, do nothing. I got to move on because the Lord is with me. Amen. Amen. So we look at our text and we begin to look at this motivating leader. Look at the text. It says in verse 11, he says, he came to Jerusalem and it was, he was there for three days. Three days, what, what's going on here? In three days, he was in Jerusalem, but we find out that in the next verse that he had told nobody about what he had come to do. One of the things about a motivating leader is motivation must first start with yourself. We'll find out why later in this text, but motivation starts in solitude. It starts with you and God all by yourself where God begins to put on your heart a burden for what he wants you to do. And you know what? It's good to take that time out and just be you and God. Because let me let you know something. There are some burdens that he's going to put on your heart that your family ain't going to understand. Because it wasn't their burden, it's yours. And so you got to make sure that your foundation is solid, amen, in the Christ. And you know that without a doubt that that's what the Lord is calling you to do because you will have your detractors. And these detractors may not mean to be detractors. They may mean it for your good but be sincerely wrong. See, we got some detractors that really mean it for your bad and we'll look at them in just a little bit. But sometimes the folks in your life that love you the most because they don't understand it, they're trying to help, but they're hindering because it is your burden and not theirs. Unfortunately, God doesn't consult with everybody concerning what he wants you to do. He doesn't always consult with everybody concerning what he wants me to do. Amen. But I have to know without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, that what he's calling me to do is what he's calling me to do. And that's why you take that time out in solitude, to get sure footing with the Lord, knowing for sure in prayer that that is what God is calling you to. And he was a wise builder, Nehemiah was, because he knows that he needs to get his business fixed, get it and prepare and be planned and get his own motivation set right before he goes to try to motivate anybody else. Because what you can do is you can come off insincere if you're really not motivated yourself. You want to try to motivate somebody else, but you ain't willing to go. You ain't motivated. Your heart is lackluster with it. But you saying you go, you do. No, you got to be willing to go as well. It's got to exude from you. Because folk don't know whether or not you're motivated or not. There is an energy. There is an excitement that will come off of you when they know that you are motivated as well. So you got to get yourself right before you can motivate somebody else. Amen. You got to get the joy of the Lord. You got to get excited about the things of Jesus. You got to get it on the inside and then it can come out rightly on the outside. Amen. Amen. So we look at the text and we find that this motivator, amen, amen, in order to be a great motivator, man, he had to know what had to be done. Because in his motivations, he knew questions might arise. Amen. 
So he went down as we look in our text. He took a, a, a intricate view. He took an a analysis of what was going on in detail at Jerusalem. It was good to know that the walls had been torn down. It was good to know that the gates had been burned, but he needed some detail. What was burned? How was it burned? How bad? What were we going to need to do in order to get it fixed? What were we going to need to do and lift it up? He had already done some preparation back when he was in Persia, but that was 800 miles away. He needed to get his eyes on some things. Sometimes when God burdens you with the ministry, with a, a mission, you got to go see some stuff. You can't just talk about it from the distance. You got to go over and get involved. Amen. You got to get up front and personal. Amen. To see the situation. And that helps solidify your motivations and your call by God to do what he's called you to do. You can't talk about what's over yonder, amen, without trying to go over there and being a part of it, without going and looking at it, feeling how it feels, the destruction or the pain and suffering that's going on. It causes you to be motivated, amen, because you feel the pain. It's nothing like experience, amen. So Nehemiah got over in the muck and mire. He got over in the destruction. He went and he didn't try to make it a big thing either. He didn't try to telecast to everybody, hey, I'm going and looking at it. Oh, I'm going over in the death and destruction today. Oh, I'm going over here. No, he stayed quiet. You say he went by night. He didn't bring a bunch of animals, nothing to draw attention to himself. He was focused on getting himself right and understanding what the situation was and making sure he was in connection to what was going on. He wasn't trying to make himself look good and trying to, to build up some name for himself before he nailed one nail, before he put in one pole, before he dug one hole. Amen. But he went and assessed the situation quietly. We have to do the same thing. We got to go and make sure that we understand what it's going to take. A wise builder will count up the cost. Amen. But we don't want to be flaunting and fancy about it. We want to go and take a look at it because after all, it's the mission that God has put on our hearts. Amen. So we look at the text and we find out that, that after he's assessed it and he spent a little time in Jerusalem quiet, most likely in prayer, because you know that Nehemiah is a praying man. Amen. The example that we ought to all be praying Christians. Amen. Because as Jesus said in Luke 18, men ought always to pray. So in the midst of his assessment, surely he was doing some prayer, but he got an integral analysis. He got an intricate analysis of what was going on, and he went and he looked and he assessed the situation. But then, after he had gotten his own motivations in solitude, then he took it to the public. Look at the text in verse 17. Amen. Then I said to them, then I said to them, after I'd done all of that, now I'm ready. My internals are right, and now I can take it to the outside. He said, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. Now, first of all, you got to call a spade a spade, right? Sometimes we want to we wanna make things look better than what they really are. But if we got death and destruction and separation and, and heartache and pain, we got to call it what it is. Because if you don't identify the problem, you cannot get the proper solution. 
If you say the problem is something that it isn't, then you can formulate a solution that won't work for the problem that is at hand. Then you spin your wheels and say, well, I just don't think anything will fix it. Well, first of all, you didn't assess the problem correctly. First of all, you tried to put on a special spin to it to make it look better than what it really is, and you should have hit it head on. You got to call a spade a spade. So Nehemiah says, you see the distress that we are in. Let's start right there. Let's start right there at the very point that we got trouble. And you see what kind of trouble we're in. Look at it. He says in the text, he said, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. But he doesn't stop there. He says, come on. He says, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Look how positive Nehemiah is. He didn't say, come and let us see if we can build. Right? See, sometimes we come in with some doubt. Just in our phraseology, we might come in and say, well, let's see if we... No, you got to come in believing that what God has for you, it is for you. And that God is going to deliver the way he said he would. That the promises that he has given you and the direction that he's going to be right behind you... feel it. You got to know that God has all power in his hand. That there is nothing too hard for God. So you see Nehemiah says no. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Not if we can. No we can. No it is a slogan then. Yes we can. Amen. So we look at the text and we see that it's for a reason. He's got a reason behind it. He's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. He says so that Jerusalem may no longer be a reproach. He's concerned about Jerusalem. He's concerned about what Jerusalem represents. He understands that Jerusalem is the city of David. He understands that Jerusalem is the city on a hill that represents Zion, that represents the kingdom of God. So if those who look for the kingdom of God and want to know what it looks like, he doesn't want the kingdom of God to look like a burnt up joint that's lying waste. He wants the kingdom of God to look right. Amen. To be pretty, to be a shining light upon that hill that folk when they look at Jerusalem can say, oh now that's the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And that is how we ought to be in the contemporary world. Not only in our buildings, we ought to make sure that we clean with excellence. That our yards and our our building and our facilities are working with excellence. Amen. But also we ought to be working with excellence in our ministries. Whatever we're doing for the Lord, we ought to do it with all we got. If we want this to be a mountaintop experience as we studied in our Sunday school, amen, everybody's got to do what they've been gifted to do. And they got to stand up and be counted for the Lord. Because when the world looks at the church, they need to see excellence. Because Jesus is the more excellent way. And if they're going to see Jesus in us, they're going to have to see excellence in all that we do. Remember the words of Jesus Christ, amen, in the uh, gospel according to John, amen, or actually in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, when he said, let your light so shine among men that they might, what? See your good works. 
For what reason? To glorify the Father in heaven. See, folk need to see our good works. They need to see us operating and not talking about one another, not scandalizing one another's name, not talking about, oh, my church is dead. No, they need to see some folks that is happy about being a child of God, is happy about being a part of a body of believers, no matter how small or how big, but that they're in the body of Christ. Because Jesus Christ didn't have a whole lot of folks following around him all the time. There were times when there were 5,000, but he got a little group of 12 men. And even at times, it was just him and three, Peter, James, and John. But guess what? Jesus was happy to have those men around him, and they were happy to be with him. Amen. And we've got to show that same thing today. Even though Jesus is now gone to be to sit at the right hand of the Father, he's still with us, in us. And he said, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he'll be in the midst. We got to be happy about that, y'all. We got to be joyous. When we talk about New Zion and our fellowship, we got to have some joy about ourselves. That's what attracts folks to when they say, what church do you go to? I go to New Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Man, and these folks there that I go with, they're loving, and I love being with them, and that's attractive to other folk because what the world needs is love. And guess what? I can't do all of that, or no other leader can do all of that because there are places you're going to go I'll never go. And there's words you're going to be able to say that I'll never be able to say. Amen. Because you're a leader. Amen. The minute that you said, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come and live in me. And God began that great work in you. You were catapulted out of darkness into the light. You became a royal priesthood. You became a peculiar people. You became a godly leader. Amen. But sometimes we forget who we are in Christ because we can get lethargic about where we are. But God is calling each and every one of us to be all about the Father's business. Amen? So we see here that Nehemiah did not put an a element of doubt in by phraseology. Amen. He called out the problem as it was. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He didn't try to clean it up. No, he looked at it as what it was. And we have to look at ourselves as what it is. We, any issues that we've got, amen, any separation, we got to call it out and then we got to look for the solution to fix it. And I'm here to let you know that the solution is in the word of God. For every need that we got, amen, it's in the word of God. But the question is, as godly leaders, are we going to move that way? Are we willing to take the risk <laughs> Because it is a risk. You could get your feelings hurt. Amen. You know what? Somebody could reject you. Amen. But that's all right. Because the Christ said, you know what? They rejected me before they rejected you. And don't worry about it. Because they reject you, they're really not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Amen. The, the, uh, the, uh, the teacher, the great teacher of the Pharisees, Gamaliel, told the Jews to leave them men alone. He was talking about the, those of the way, the disciples. He said, leave them alone. And if it is not right, it will come to nothing. He says, but if it is right, then what you don't want to do is find out that you are fighting 
against God. So what it is when folks fight against you, they're really not fighting against you. They're fighting against God. So as much as possible, don't take it personal. Because the word of God is an offense. As long as you are in the will of God, working the word of God, then keep on going. Because they despised him and they rejected him first. So are we greater than the master? No, we're not. So if they rejected him, they will reject us. But that's no reason to throw in the towel. There's no reason to quit because God is still working. He said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we got to keep on going. We got to keep on motivating ourselves and other folk. Amen. So we look at the text and we find out it's, we do all of this so that Jerusalem is not a reproach. We work to try to break down walls of separation and to build love and, and to build kindness with one another because the greatest evangelism tool that the church ever had was the love that they show one another. Because that is what the world needs is love. And we got to show one another love and we got to be exemplary in our love for one another that it rubs off on the world. That the world says there's something different about them folks over there, but that's something that's different. That's what I need and I want to be part of it. How must I get what you have? How must I be saved? Amen? Amen. Amen. And so when we look at our text, we find out that it's the same reason in the contemporary church. We want to make sure that all of this stuff is built back up and love is in place and hate is thrown out and, and issues like that are thrown out of the way so that the church, that the modern day assembly will not be an approach, a reproach in the world. Amen? Amen. We want to have a good reputation. Amen. As an assembly of God's baptized born again believers. Amen? Amen. And when we look at the text, as we noted last time, that you're not going to be able to do the work of the master without some detractors. You're not going to be able to do it without some enemies. If you think folk going to just come right alongside, everybody's going to be cheering for you and saying, go, you got another thing coming. Paul himself said, when I would do good, evil is always present. You don't think that Satan is just going to sit up and let you share the gospel with folk and feed the hungry and help those who are in need and, and help parents who are struggling and help people in the word of God so that, that they're able to, to work again and be productive that you're going to be loving on one another and treating other, one another right and exemplifying God without Satan getting quick, fast, in a hurry up against you. Yeah. You don't think that'll happen, do you? But that's all right, though, because when Satan gets after you, all it is is an indication that you're on the right track. Yeah. That ought to tell you to go ahead and put it in another gear and to step high and long in the grass because it's time to go to work because the enemy is trying to stop you. Because when the enemy starts to come at you, the breakthrough is just around the bend. You've got to keep on running, cock your neck to the side, and keep on pushing because you're on the right track. That's the time to be motivated to keep running because the devil can see you're about to make a touchdown. The devil can see you're about to score. The devil can see you're about to have a breakthrough that your life and somebody else's life will be changed. So you keep on pressing. 
because you're a motivator. Amen. In the house of the Lord. But these detractors that I told you about, not the folks who, who, who sincerely want to see things go right for you, but just are not in understanding it. And, and they say some things just because they don't understand, but they really love you. No, I'm talking about the ones who want to see you fail. I'm talking about the ones who setting up traps for you so that you can fall in a pit. Those are right there, D. Dean Carter, they are right there. Look at the text. Now, he, now Nehemiah done come in with not a whole lot of fanfare, but the devil is watching him. Look down in the text, verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. Hold on. Now, to those who are initiated in this text, the last time we saw this all-star cast of haters, there was only two of them. If you look back early in the story, there was only two. But now it's three. See, when you are in the right way with the Lord and you are moving according to the mission of God in your ministry, Satan is one of those that he don't really like to lose and he likes to leverage. So he will bring them amongst you and about you as many enemies as he can, as many detractors and as many haters as is necessary. And just off of the hearing that Nehemiah was doing something from Persia, because remember the last time they heard, he was still 800 miles away, and it was two of them. And both of them hated each other, but they were coming together for a common enemy. See, don't be surprised when folks who be battling one another that you've been watching when you weren't doing nothing, when you start doing nothing, that they don't get on the same team together against you. There's some folks that be knockout, drag out, fighting one another. But when they see you moving toward a thing for the Lord, they will shut that mess down and they will come together to come against you because you are a common enemy. But look here, now the Arabs have got involved. We already had the Ammonites and the Horonites, but now we've got an Arab involved. But now they're taking this thing up a little bit too. Because before they were disturbed by it, but now they're getting mouthy with it. Look at the text, y'all. When they heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us. They talked down to us. They belittled us, huh? And they said, what is this thing you are doing? What is this mess? You might as well say, they're saying, what is this mess y'all trying to do? Are you trying to do something for the Lord? This old cockamamie stuff. Folk be talking about that old confusion that y'all trying to do. See, that's the world talking to try to get you shut down because that's how the devil works. He don't want you to do nothing for God. He ain't interested in that. So he's bringing all his imps to the table. So Nehemiah moving forward, here comes the imps. Now they're questioning what he's doing. They know what he's doing, but they're trying to tear him down. They're trying to have negative language and all that to try to bring him down. Bringing up a group of three like he's supposed to be afraid of them. Amen. And that's how the enemy will come up against you. They'll try to make you look like that they're more powerful than you are and they can do. But you have to remember greater is he that is within you than he is in the world. If God be for you, who can be against you? And even if the enemy comes in like a flood, that it is God that can raise up a standard against him. And also remember this, 
that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. See, God's got it fixed. It's a fixed fight, amen? And you are the victor because he has been victorious, amen? But look, but look, they gonna come with some nonsense though. Look at the text. Now they're accusing him of rebelling against the king. Well, I mean, of course, of course. They've already got to put, try to put some doubt in the whole idea of rebuilding the wall. I mean, some folks put some doubt in, oh, y'all think y'all going to go over to church and do all of that? Well, you know they ain't going to never change. This ain't going to never happen. You know, if we do this, all it's going to do is fail. See, you got them kind of enemies in the church. You ain't got to go outside to find them. They just planted up in here. When we came in this morning, Satan did too. Because he's here to find out what's going on and how he can stop whatever's going on. If there's a glimmer of hope that New Zion getting ready to try to do something for the Lord, Satan's going to be right here. Because he want to make sure that nothing happens. And so all kinds of seeds of doubt get thrown in. All kinds of, no, you don't need to try to do that. Mm -mm -mm -mm. They ain't right. Sure ain't. Mm -mm. I don't think so. No, yeah, they got a fake face and all. I ain't going to try to love on them. I ain't going to try to do nothing with them. No, I ain't going to do that. And Satan is just sitting back laughing when that happens. But when a great work is there, you got to put down your biases. You got to put that mess down. You can't listen to the enemy in that mess because we're all on our way to heaven anyhow, maybe. But if you want to make sure you're on your way to heaven, you want to make sure that you're right with the Lord. And you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. Won't work. Now that's just real stuff. And there's no way you're going to motivate anybody to do good if you hating your brother. Amen? Amen. So we look at our text. And he says, well, these imps say to, to, to Nehemiah, will you rebel against the king? Now, there's no rebelling at all here. He has spoken to the king. He's talked with the king. Amen. The Jerusalem king, he has no problem with it because he's got trouble up to his neck. Okay, so he's not got no issue with King Artaxerxes. There's no issue there either because he's already spoken with the king. And that's the other thing about being a leader. Being a leader, especially if you're a gifted leader, it's easy to lead, but it's hard to follow. It's easy to lead, but hard to follow. Nehemiah represents a good leader that also deals with the followership issue too. Nehemiah could have went to the king and said, King, I'm out of here. Man, my folks, now you, you're in Persia. I'm from Judah. My people, the, the Jerusalem situation is a mess. I got to go. Get you the backup cupbearer and I'm out of here. But he didn't. No, he submitted himself to his leadership first and made sure that he was in line with his leadership before he carried out anything else. He prayed to God that God would move on the heart of his leader, amen, first. That everything would be in order. See, because it's out of order to go past your leadership to do something. Amen. 
Because if your leadership is not in on board on it and you're going, you might want to consult with God upon that situation before you try to move further ahead. So Nehemiah didn't try to run Artaxerxes, even so he was a pagan leader. Amen. More or less if you've got a godly leader. Amen. So everything was in order, but the enemy was saying things were out of order. He's always going to be opposite of what things ought to be. Because the kingdom of the world is 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of God. So expect it. Expect lies to be told. Expect slander to be get on the name of God. Expect slander on your name as well. Amen. But you keep on pressing on anyhow. And then we see in verse 20, as I come to a close, we see, So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Now that's what I call confidence. That's what I call a motivated leader that knows who he serves. After y'all talked all this nonsense and y'all brought all this slander in here, I'm going to let y'all and put you on notice that God will prosper us because Nehemiah knew that he was on board with the Lord. He knew he was in the will of God. And when you know you're in the will of God, you can speak confidently that God is going to see you through. And so we see in the text, it says, and therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Nehemiah did not have any doubt that God was not going to see him through. He told his detractors, he told his haters, oh, we're going to build and we're going to do for the Lord. Oh, we're going to do great things for the Lord. It's going to happen. I'm not listening to your nonsense because I know who I serve. You got to have a mind that's made up when you're going to serve the Lord, y'all. You got to have a mind that's made up that you ain't listening to just anybody saying anything. That you focus on the work at hand, amen, and you are concentrated and you ain't trying to hear that nonsense because you got business to get done. As Jesus says, you must work while it is yet day because when night coming, no man can work. He says the day is far spent and the night is at hand. Huh? Let us get in a hurry about the work of the Lord. And then he served them. Notice that, uh-uh, you're not going to have no part in this. There's no blessing in this for you. Amen. There are some enemies and imps that will come into your life trying to stop you, but that's all right because they ain't got no blessing on the other side anyway. Amen. So you just work on and be confident that it's the Lord that's with you and it's going to be the Lord that saves you. It's going to be the Lord that gives you victory in the first place. Amen? Amen. Amen. So church of God, as, as we close this message, we want you to know, amen, that every one of us is a leader. Amen. And we should be motivated inside first and then outside. And know that whatever God has given you to do, amen, that he will see you through. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Whatever he has began in you, he will completed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, Lord, we bless your name, Master, for another word upon high. Lord, help us to, to, to grapple with leadership. Amen. As baptized, born-again believers. 
Help us to, to be prayer warriors and to be those who call upon your name on a consistent basis that we might have communication with you and be able to step out and take a risk to carry out a ministry that's included in your mission, oh God. Lord, that little boys and little girls might be edified and strengthened, that, that men and women might be redirected and corrected, that they might have been encouraged in this world, that those who don't know you might be saved, Amen. that they might call upon your name, oh God. But Lord, don't let us get bogged down in doubt, Lord. Get us bogged down in apathy and, and lethargy. Lord, help us to stay strong and motivated and joyous about the work of the master because we don't have very long. Lord, thank you in the name of Jesus for this opportunity, oh God. And as this week goes on, Lord, challenge us to get about your business that at the end of the day, Lord, you will say to us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. And at this time, the doors of the church are open. There might be somebody here, amen, who needs to know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of their sins. You can get to know him today. It won't cost you one dime because Jesus has already paid it all. You can come to Jesus just as you are. Amen. You don't have to fix yourself up. You just say, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me of my sins and come and live in my heart. Amen. Amen. There is a room at the cross for of God. Amen. If all hearts and minds are clear, let us stand for our benediction. Amen. A godly leader is a motivating leader. Praise the Lord. Where he leads me
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, thank you for everything that we have seen and heard on today. Lord, thank you for our youth choir and the directors and musicians. Lord, thank you for the parents, oh God. Thank you for New Zion as a whole. Lord, thank you for being a wonderful God that continues to make a place of sanctuary and worship unto thee. Lord, help us to be the type of godly leaders that you have called us to be. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, amen, in the master's business. And master, as we prepare our hearts to leave this place and go to our prospective homes and other destinations, Lord, continue to keep your holy hedge of protection around us. Keep us from all hurt, harm, and danger. And Lord, as we also prepare our hearts to give in our offering, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that we are cheerful givers. Lord, and that you use these gifts for the edification of your kingdom. Lord, we want to give you all the praise and all the glory. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And the whole church saying, Amen. Amen. Please be seated and obey the usher. 